Genesis chapter 49, now he gathers all 12 of his sons together and he gives his last will and testament and he also gives many prophecies for each and every one of them and the repercussion of the lives that they have lived, how it's going to affect their sons and their sons and their sons and the generations after them. So verse 1 and 2, Jacob called his sons and he said, gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel your father. He starts out with his firstborn, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. And that's a great way to hear the beginning of the will and testament, right? Hey, I'm the might, I'm the power of dad. Yeah, yeah, what else do you have to say, dad? Verse 4, unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed and then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. You can write down Genesis 35 verses 19 through 22. Here's where we see the history of what happened here in verse 4. And again, the family drama. Twelve brothers are all gathered together. And probably for the most of them, this is the first time they have ever heard of their oldest brother Reuben committing this sin. Again, the oldest born son during this time period, they would have a double blessing. Not only would they have a double inheritance compared to all the other brothers, but now they would also be the head of the home. They would now become the patriarch of the family as the father passes away. But because Reuben gave in to sin and the flesh, he disqualified himself from the blessings of his father. And family, the same can be true for us today. That if you are giving into sin, if you are defiling yourself in sin, you're disqualifying yourselves from the blessings that God wants to pour out on your lives. Again, it's not name it and claim it. It's not, Lord, I've lived righteously, so now I deserve X, Y, or Z. But God's word is plain towards us that sin equals death, right? The wages of sin equal death, all right? Temptation, when it doesn't go checked, it leads to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, it leads to death. So again, family, may we run from sin for one moment of pleasure. Reuben gave up all the blessings and privileges of being the firstborn son. And can you imagine Reuben's other brothers when they find out that their older brother slept with their mom? Again, talk about family drama. This is a crazy, crazy time in the tent, right? Lots of evil going on here. But again, Reuben, he thought his sin was under the rug. In Genesis 35, 22, Jacob makes no mention of it. It's like he just turns the page and he doesn't even talk about it. But here, 40 years later, all the sin that he committed, all the time he had to repent, that he did not repent, the Lord now brings it to the surface and says, hey, This is what you've sown to, so this is what you are going to reap. We continue verse 5 through 7. It tells us Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. And in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. You can write down Genesis 34, verses 25 through 29. Here, Simeon and Levi, their younger sister Dinah, she's taken by one of the pagan men, and she's raped by one of the pagan men. He wants to marry her, and instead of just saying no, Instead of just taking his life, judgment in this day would be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Instead of just taking his life, not only did they take his life, not only did they take the life of his father, but now using trickery through something that is holy, that is the circumcision for these Hebrew men, they use this as a trick to have all the men in the city of Shechem circumcise themselves only to on the third day now wipe out the entire city. Not only do they wipe out the entire city, but now they plunder, they pillage it. 
They steal all the gold, all the animals, all the oxen. And again, it was done in their anger. In their anger. In their wrath. And family, our anger and our wrath, God's righteousness cannot come through it. Our cruelty is not going to bring down God's moving on this place. This is not going to happen. I know you guys are all great. It's the 9 a.m. It's the Wednesday night group. I don't know if you've ever exploded on your spouse. I don't know if you've ever exploded on your boss or on a coworker that you've just given into anger and you just exploded. Did that yield the results that you wanted right afterwards, right? You have this huge blowout with your wife. Does she go out now and cook you the most perfect meal ever? Right? You'd be smelling that thing. Is there something in here, right? Did she put something in this food? She's trying to kill me. Our anger, our wrath, our fierce indignation, it is not going to bring about the moving of God. We've been going through the book of James and James 2, right? It warns us that our wrath is not going to bring God's righteousness. It's not going to bring God's moving. And now because of Simeon and Levi acting in their anger, it tells us they're going to be divided and scattered all throughout Israel. Now God's word, it tells us some important things here. It tells us that Jacob, right, he says that they're going to be scattered. The first brother here, Simeon, his lineage is scattered all throughout Israel. They don't have any land of their own. And it's sad. They're a large tribe and their numbers continue to dwindle. But now the Levites, the moment that the children of Israel come out of Egypt, and now they have this golden calf, right? This golden calf, they're all worshiping it. It's craziness. Moses comes down and for judgment, he melts the calf. He puts it in water. He has all the Israelites now drink this golden water. I don't know what that did to their stomachs afterwards, right? But after that, he draws a line in the sand and God says, hey, tell them whoever wants to be with God to come unto you. And now the tribe of Levi, they all decide, hey, we want to be with the Lord. And now this curse in verse 7 that says they're going to be scattered all throughout Israel because the tribe of Levi wanted to be associated with God. They wanted to be with God. It turns out into a tremendous blessing. That now the Levites, they had over 40 cities scattered all throughout Israel that would be their own. The Levites, they wouldn't have to worry about work or food or shelter. The Lord would provide it for them. The Levites, they would have the blessing and the privilege to administer the sacrifice and blessings of the people to the Lord. So again, family, all of us, we may be starting off as Simeons and Levites. But if we today decide, Lord, I want to be on your side, the Lord can move in your life. And the Lord can pour out his blessings in your life. But you have to decide that. That line has to be in the sand. And you have to say, Lord, as for me and my house, Lord, we're going to serve the Lord. Lord, I want to be associated with you. And man, the great work that the Lord does later on through the Levites. Verse 8, it tells us, Judah, you are he whom your brother shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, speaking of Jesus. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Again, Judah started off being a terrible son as well. He committed atrocities, he committed sins, he slept with a harlot that ended up being his daughter-in-law. All sorts of craziness through this man Judah. It's his idea to sell Joseph into slavery. Again, not a guy you want to have over dinner, right? Hey, would you take my daughter to marry you? No, you're right. you don't want Judah anywhere near your family. But yet later on, when Benjamin's life is on the line... When Benjamin's life is on the line and Joseph, he's saying, hey, okay, now Benjamin, you're going to be in slavery for the rest of your life because you stole the prince's goblet, right? I don't know if you guys are remembering this. Judah stands up and he says, no, take my life. This is my fault. This is all because of me. And now Judah taking responsibility for his actions, it shows us a change in this man's life. Or now he was concerned about his younger brother and he was concerned about the life of his father. 
And again, family, there's a common theme throughout here. There were brothers that were evil and sinful, and they didn't come to the Lord. They didn't seek repentance. And it affected them and their children and their children's children and all their generations. But there's also brothers here who were sinners, who were wicked, but they turned to the Lord. And because they turned to the Lord, it blessed them and their children and their children's children and the generations after them. Verse 10, right, it tells us the scepter shall not depart from them. We know that King David, he came from Judah. We know that Jesus, our king, the king of the universe, he's the lion from the tribe of Judah. So again, in a very important tribe that started off with a very wicked man. Verse 11 and 12, here we see some prophecy of Jesus' second coming. It tells us, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are wider than milk. This is speaking of the abundance that will be taking place during the reign of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a super abundance. There's going to be no more sin, no more war. Again, imagine if everyone that ruled was not only a Christian, but actually wanted the best for mankind. Actually wanted what was best from God. Again, the change that would be in our world. And now you have Jesus Christ actually coming to rule and reign in this planet. That's where it tells us, I believe in Isaiah, that children, they're going to be playing with cobras and... Parents aren't going to be freaking out. They're going to be cool with it, right? Yeah, go play with the little cobras. It's okay, Johnny. Go for it. That's how it's going to be during the thousand-year reign of Christ. It tells us the lion and the lamb are going to be laying next to one another, not laying inside of one another. And again, just perfection on this planet when Jesus comes. And yet still, people will want to come against the Lord. Still, people will be given into the temptation from the enemy. But verse 13, we keep going, each of these brothers. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his brother shall adjoin Sidon. Zebulun, the land they ended up dwelling in in Israel, was to the north, which was in between the Mediterranean Sea and in between the Sea of Galilee. So again, all around them, they had these ships. Verse 14 and 15, Issachar is a strong donkey. Lying down between two burdens, he saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulders to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. In Numbers 26, we get a census of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the tribe of Issachar was the third largest tribe. But the tribe of Issachar, they didn't want to go fully into the promised land. They stayed right outside on the Jordan River. There's three tribes that do this. And now because of this, they were always dealing with battle. They were always dealing with the enemy picking on them first because they were on the outskirts of the promised land. And it was mostly the Canaanites who would come and mess with them. And again, because of their laziness... Because rest was good and the land was pleasant, they became a band of slaves. They never dealt with the Canaanites. They never fully went into the promised land. And now because of this, they were sold off into slavery. And again, family, we can be believers here. And the Canaanites, they're a picture of our flesh. And when we are too lazy to address our flesh... When we're too lazy to discipline ourselves, when we're too lazy to cut off sins and weights which so easily ensnare us, you can be a believer but still enslaved to your flesh. May we not be like this tribe of Issachar. Verse 16 and 17, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent, by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall back. Dan would start off producing judges like Samson, one of the greatest judges that we know of. We know him, right? The guy with long hair, the guy with seven dreadlocks and super strong, did a bunch of crazy things. But later on through Dan, you would have a man named Jeroboam. This is after King David passes away, after King Solomon passes away. And now the nation of Israel, they split in two. They have Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And Jeroboam, 
in order to have the people drawn to himself, he creates an altar for them in the land of Dan, which was an altar truly of convenience. Instead of them having to go through the journey to go down to Jerusalem to sacrifice at the temple, he said, you know what, I'm going to just make you a nice little altar here in Dan. It's going to be right by your house. It's going to be super convenient. And now the people of Israel, they were thrown into serving pagan gods because of Jeroboam. Again, may we be careful of living a life that's based on convenience. Which church is closest to me? Which church's service is the smallest? Which church is set at 68 degrees inside, right? I don't know. Whatever is convenient for you, we have to be careful with that. But again, with this, why was it a serpent that would bite its rider so that it would fall backwards? The Canaanites, the people all around Israel, they have heard of this incredible God and the miracles that he had done for the Hebrew people. This God that ripped the Red Sea in two, this God that had bread rain down from heaven, this God that had these quails land and basically say, eat me, right, and wait for the people of Israel to gather them. They have heard all these miracles from this, the Hebrews and their God. And yet now when they would come through the tribe of Dan from the north, if you've been with us to Israel, you've, you've seen that altar, you've seen Abraham's old gate there, you'd come into this land that you've heard all these incredible things, and the first thing you would see is a pagan altar. So you're falling back, man, they're just like the rest of us. There's nothing different with them. They are just like the rest of us. Again, that's a warning for us as believers. May people not look at us and say, you're just like the rest of us. That will. That will make people fall back. People, they're looking for a hope. They're looking for something different. May we be able to give Jesus because he is that difference. Verse 18, I have waited for your salvation O oh Lord, in the midst of all these promises and this prophecy, Jacob, he's still waiting for salvation, which only comes from God. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him because he shall triumph at last. Gad in Hebrew, it literally means a troop. And the tribe of Gad, they would produce many soldiers, especially during the time of David. Many of David's mighty men of valor would come from Gad. In verse 20, it tells us, bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. So one tribe produces all the soldiers, and now this tribe produces all the pastelitos, apparently, right? The tribe of Asher, they have bread, they have good royal dainties. So if you're looking for your pastelito and cortadito in the morning, you can swing by the tribe of Asher. Uh, but verse 21, Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. The tribe of Naphtali would settle near the Sea of Galilee. And it's there in the Sea of Galilee that Jesus would have the most of his ministry take place. Again, pronouncing these beautiful words. Verse 22 now goes into Joseph's life. It tells us Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a well. His branches run over the wall and the archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him. But his bow remained in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. So now Joseph, he receives a tremendous blessing, but also some truths here that we should see for our own lives as believers in verse 23, it tells us that archers have bitterly grieved him, they've shot at him, and they've hated him. And we're going to have different seasons in life, and some seasons may seem as if the whole world is against us. Lord, my friends, Lord, now this happened, Lord, now COVID, now the, these race wars, Lord, now this is happening in my marriage, God, now my kid broke his arm, 
Lord, now the check engine light came on. Lord, now AAA is not answering the phone, right? Sometimes it's as if everything is against us. That's not the time for us to quit. That's not the time for us as believers to throw in the towel and say, forget this, Lord. I'm over. Everybody's firing arrows at me and everybody hates me. Everybody has shot me. No, that is the time for us to be strengthened by the arms of our mighty God. Here the picture here is that even though Joseph is tired and exhausted holding the bow and the arrow, it's as if the Lord is reaching his hands over Joseph and holding the bow and arrow steady for him. And again, family, that's a picture for the way our lives are meant to be lived. We're not supposed to give up in adversity. We're not supposed to just give in to sin. We're not supposed to just give in to temptation. We are to be overcomers. We are to be those who persevere. We are to be those who fight back against the enemy and against the trials and the temptations of the enemy. So again, family, may we be encouraged. May we be strong. May we not be tired and lazy and giving up. No, we are to be strong. And it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own 10-point system. It's not in our own, okay, this time I'm going to get it right. It's in humbling ourselves and allowing the arms of the Lord to come around us. Right? Some of us, if we're honest, we're too prideful for that, right? Matt, we just had a men's retreat and we were shooting bow and arrow, but it would take a whole lot of humility for one of the guys, for another guy to reach around him, right, and help him bow, shoot the arrow, right? <laughs> it's one thing for a husband and wife to do it or a dad with his little kids, but for a grown man, do get off of me. I, I got this. I got this, you know? And many of us, we are simply too prideful to let go and say, all right, Lord, you got to strengthen me through this. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in to my anger or the temptation. Lord, you got to come through here. I'm at my wit's end. May we get through that. May we be, allow the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the mighty God of Jacob to come and strengthen us. So again, Joseph, in the midst of all adversity, he's the most fruitful one of all his brothers. He's the one that he's so fruitful that his branches are reaching over the wall to bless all the people around him. John 15, verse 4 and 5, again, you should know this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you Unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Again remember that especially the end of verse 5. If we're in him, if we're abiding in him, we're going to bear much fruit. But if we're apart from him, we can do nothing. We continue verse 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. Again, if you're the youngest boy out of 12, got to be pretty scrappy, right? You got to be a pretty crazy kid to be able to survive and have enough food on your own plate. And it seems as if this scrappy nature to survive is not only in Benjamin but in the people that would come through his tribe. Ehud, the judge, this lefty judge in the book of Judges would come through the tribe of Benjamin. This is this lefty judge. He had the sword on his left hand side. They had only checked the right handed side. Again how God he's created each of us for a specific purpose. But Ehud he has a knife on the left side and he stabs it into this king Eglon that's so fat that his body absorbs the knife and took it inside of him. It's in the Bible, believe me. I didn't make it up. Go to Judges. It's in there. You have some crazy stories in Judges. King Saul, he would come from the tribe of Benjamin. And the apostle Paul would also come from the tribe of Benjamin. In Judges 19 and 20, there's a great tragedy that's filled with evil and cruelty and rape and just disgusting things happen. And it's through this same tribe of Benjamin to the point where the rest of Israel almost wipes them out. Verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. And then he charged them. And he said to them, I am to be gathered to my people 
Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up on the bed and he breathed his last. And he was gathered to his people. Again, Jacob in his last breaths, he's blessing his sons. And he's emphasizing plans to not be buried or associated with the people in Egypt. He wants to be buried in the only piece of property that Abraham had purchased and owned in the promised land. It's a beautiful picture for us that the pleasures and greatness of Egypt did not affect this old shepherd. He didn't want to be associated with the people of Israel. Say, I don't want my body staying here. Take me back to the promised land. Take me back to the land of Canaan. He wanted to be in the land that God had promised him and his people. Genesis chapter 50 verse 1. Then Joseph fell on his father's face. He wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. And throughout scripture there is no burial that has so much honor, wealth, and detail outside of Jesus as this old shepherd, Jacob. There's no other burial. We're going to see that they send chariots with him, that Pharaoh sends all of his servants, his chief officials with them to bury this man, Jacob. Again, this shows us the amount of favor that Joseph had with Pharaoh and really with the whole nation of Egypt. They looked at Joseph as a hero in their time. He saved all of them and he saved the surrounding nations as well. Now he goes through this embalming process. If you're super into it, you can look it up online later on. We don't have to go into it. But again, the Egyptians, some weird pagan religions, right? If you were in authority, if you were a pharaoh and you died, they believed you would one day resurrect. They wanted to make sure you had your wife when you would resurrect. So they would kill your wife right there and then bury her with you. So when you resurrect, they're both there. But hey, you're a king, so you need servants. So they'd kill all your servants, And they would put them in the same pyramid. They put enough money in there for you, enough food in there for you. So when you resurrect, hey, the whole gang is there and everything is okay, right? Very sick and strange ways, right? But we know the embalming process. It took 40 days. They would pull out certain organs out and they would keep others there. One of the pastors I was listening to, he said, So now Jacob was Joseph's father and mummy at the same time. We keep going, verse 4, chapter 50, it tells us, Now when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. I think one interesting note, I didn't see this before, is Joseph, he doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't try to hide it like it's some foreign or insane ritual that's taking place. For some of us, if we do something for the Lord, even if it's a ritual, some of us, we are timid or we're fearful or we're more fearful of what man thinks than of what God thinks. I don't know if you've been there. You've gotten baptized. You rededicated your life to the Lord. You're going on a men's retreat or a couple's retreat, right? And you're afraid to tell the people around you. Are they going to make you walk on fire? Are they going to make you walk on coals? No, man. We just, we just get together at a hotel and read the Bible. That's all we do. Again, for us to not be fearful of others and these things that we do for the Lord. Because we see in verse 6, Pharaoh, not only is he 
down with it, but he wants to be a part of it. Verse 6, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Egypt, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with him, both chariots and horsemen. And it was a very great gathering. And then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan. And they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. Again, this burial was a huge festivity for the entire nation of Egypt. That is, if someone was buried today and all the dignitaries within the American government would come, that they would be sending military vehicles on the road, on the path for this, that there'd be right, a flybys and all these things taking place for the burial of this old farmer. Again, the work that the Lord did through Jacob and through his sons. Another interesting note, the different areas mentioned beyond the Jordan and Atad, all these different things. Scholars believe that they took the long route around to Canaan. Instead of just taking the straight shot from Egypt straight into the other side of the Jordan, they took the long route, which would be the same route that the nation of Israel would take 400 years later as they left Egypt. Instead of going straight into the promised land, fighting the giants, they went down the easy road that took 40 years instead of a few weeks. Verse 12, now we continue to see the drama unfold between Joseph, his brothers, with the passing of their father. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him to bury his father. Again, important practical notes here. Man, make sure you have a will. Make sure your family knows how you want to be buried. Don't let death be this taboo subject that you never talk about. Ten out of ten people die. It happens. It's going to happen. So, man, talk about these things. Talk to one another what you want done, what you don't want done. And again, the blessing here is that the sons did just as he had commanded them. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph. Saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Again, talk about salt in an open wound. We know that Joseph... In chapter 48, his father Jacob wanted to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with only Joseph and then with Joseph and Joseph's two sons before he even met with the other 11 brothers. So now for them to say that they had a private meeting with dad and that dad was begging for him to forgive them and not hurt him, he must have known that that was a lie. But now secondly, Joseph, not only is he dealing with the wounds of bearing his father, who they lost 17 years of life together because of the sins of his older brothers, but now his brothers still don't trust him after all these years. They still don't trust him. I don't know if you've ever forgiven someone. I don't know if you want them to constantly be bringing it up. Hey, do you still forgive me? Hey, do you still forgive me? Hey, do you still forgive me? Hey, do you st hey if you keep on asking me, I'm not going to forgive you anymore, right? 
In Genesis 45, verse 3 through 5, we see how Joseph deals with his brothers. A couple pages to the left, the first moment he reveals himself to them. It tells us his brothers, they couldn't answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. Again, they were fearful. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near and then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now... Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Again, Joseph had already forgiven his brothers years ago. And now they bring it up again. And one question we should ask ourselves is, man, how in the world is Joseph able to forgive his brothers? I don't know about you guys. I know you guys are all amazing believers. This would be really hard for me to forgive someone, right? Not only did they want to kill me. But now they beat me up 10 on 1, right? They beat me up 10 on 1. They throw me down a well with no water in it. And then they sell me into slavery? And then they lied to dad about it? Dude, I don't know if I'm going to forgive you, right? But Joseph is able to forgive them. You see, Joseph's focus was on God's will for his life. Not on what he thought was fair or not fair for his own life. As believers, this is where we get into trouble. We all think, whether we realize it or not, we all believe there are certain things that are fair to us. Because I've done X, Y, or Z, I deserve X, Y, or Z. And when we go into life thinking that we deserve X, Y, or Z, and things change, and we were met with unmet expectations, bitterness, anger, envy, lack of forgiveness can really creep in there. But now if we live our lives saying, Lord, what would you have me to do today? All right, Lord, my 10 older brothers just sold me into slavery. What are you going to do with this, right? What's your plan for this? That keeps our heart light and open to the things of God. But again, Joseph's brothers back in chapter 50, they thought that Joseph was going to turn on them. Again, maybe he was just behaving well because dad was alive. In all reality, he's the vice president of Egypt. He could commit any crime he wanted and nothing would be wrong with it on this side of eternity. So they're freaking out. But F.B. Meyer, he points out something so important. He says, Joseph's brothers judged him by their own dark hearts. They could not believe in the sincerity and genuineness of Joseph's forgiveness. Sometimes this is us. We don't believe someone can forgive us because we would never forgive someone on the other side of that. And oftentimes... We as believers have difficulty accepting the forgiveness of God because we're not forgiving people around us. We're not being gracious. We're not being merciful. Every time someone sins against us, we we create an essay in our journal and we laminate it. We make three copies and we make sure to never, ever forget it. Family, may we be quick to forgive. May we be merciful, may we be gracious, because God is and was gracious and merciful to each and every one of us. And if you're here today worrying, Lord, do you still forgive me? Lord, do you still love me? Lord, I blew it again. Lord, do you still love me? I encourage you, run in to that grace and mercy of God. Not as a reason to keep on sinning, but to be so broken that he truly does love you and forgive you. Again, family, do not judge God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness by our own dark hearts. Take God at his word. Take God's word and what it says about you as the truth of what God thinks about you, family. And may we be like Joseph, quick to forgive one another. Verse 18, Genesis chapter 50. Then his brothers also went. They fell down before his face and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Again, Joseph realized that his own revenge wasn't for him to take. He says, am I in the place of God? Romans chapter 12, 
verse 19, it tells us, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's a great verse to have on the dashboard driving in Miami, right? Okay, Lord, vengeance is yours. Lord, vengeance is yours, right? We have to be careful. We so quickly seek revenge for ourselves, and we should truly be allowing God time to not only pour out his vengeance, but what we should be praying for is God to pour out his grace and mercy on people who harm us and do evil to us. That's what the Bible says to do, is to pray for our enemies, Pray for those who spitefully use you. That's what we're to do. May we not be like Jonah who warns the people of Nineveh of God's coming judgment. And now they all seek repentance. They all seek restoration. And Jonah's mad about it. He says, Lord, they deserve to burn. I wanted to see them burn. Again, may we not be like the disciples. Lord, these people are not listening to us. So Jesus, would you teach us how to rain down fire from heaven and consume them? You don't know what spirit you're from. Hey, you're in the wrong gang. That's the wrong group. That, those guys are over there. Go over there. We're supposed to be forgiving one another, loving one another, asking God for extra extended grace and mercy to those who spitefully use us. Again, I pray as you see the evil within, again, Antifa and BLM, no doubt there's evil at the top. Pray for those young kids in the middle there that they're just looking for a group of people to love them and to pull them in. That's all that is. Ten years ago, 20 years ago, there were pastors that would go and preach to gang members, right? And now we look at that and we say, hey, that's okay, that's good. The Lord did so much ministry there. But today we need the same thing. We need pastors that are willing to go there in wisdom, truly being called by God in the right timing to speak to these young men who they're 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, and they're just doing what the mob is telling them to do. They're not using their right minds. Again, hopefully you still remember when you were 16, 17, 18, 19 years old and the stupid things we would do because of the people around us telling us to do it. So may we be praying for revival. May we not be those praying for God rain down fire from heaven, but may we be praying for God's grace and mercy that we be praying lord may there be a solid godly man to come alongside these individuals and show them the love of god verse 20 we don't see joseph candy coating it he says hey you you meant evil against me what you guys tried to do that was sick that was messed up man you sold your younger brother into slavery but god meant it for good Again, we shouldn't candy coat sin, but we should always look at it through God's lens. You meant evil, but God was able to turn it around for good. And we see that all throughout Scripture, family. For Daniel, the Lord meant evil, the Babylonians coming in, destroying them, the king issuing orders and decrees. And yet, because Daniel was faithful, the Lord used it to turn the heart of the king, to turn the nation, to change prayer in great and amazing ways. Same thing with Jesus, right? The enemy wanted to kill Jesus, thought that he would win, that he have the final victory. And God said, all right, let's go. And the Lord was able to use it for his good. That now because Jesus has died, taking our sins and resurrecting, now we can have a friendship and relationship with God. That's the way we should be looking at things, family. The Lord is the one who reigns on the throne. I don't need to be seeking out my own revenge. Isaiah 54, verse 17, it tells us, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Again, family, if you are a part of the family of God, our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is not what we think that people think about us. Our righteousness is in God and God alone. Sometimes we can be consumed with thinking, hey, what do people think about me? No. You stay concerned about your character and the Lord will take care of your reputation. Stay concerned with your character and God's going to take care of your reputation. Again, there's many people in scripture that on the outside they looked amazing. And yet inside they were completely rotten. And there's the opposite. People on the outside, they look terrible, right? You have Hannah. The priest thinks that she's drunk in the middle of church praying. And yet there could not have been a more solid young lady. 
May we be allowing the Lord to be our righteousness, knowing, hey, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. As Pastor Tony would say, what are you going to threaten me with? Heaven? Right? That's the way that we should be living. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We've read this verse a lot throughout the life of Joseph. And we know that all things, all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. Again, that's not a tattoo for us when we're trying to bench 500 pounds. That's not the context of this scripture. All things the Lord is able to turn them around for good, just like he did for Joseph, because Joseph was in love with God. Again, when you tell your spouse that you love them, hopefully you just say, hey, I love you, and it ends there. You don't say, hey, honey, I love you, but I also love that girl over there. Hey, honey, I love you, but I also love that guy over there. That's not going to go over too well, right? And now the Lord, he tells us, right, all the law is held in these two things, right? Love the Lord with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. And if that's the life that we are living, the Lord will be able to use all things and work them together for his good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 22, so Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Matur, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of the land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Again, this is how we as believers should look at death. Hey, I'm dying, but God's going to come and visit you. Hey, I'm dying, but I'm not freaking out. I'm not holding on to everything. Honey, are you up there? Right? There should be no freaking out. Joseph knows he's about to go, but he's calm. He's giving them plans. Hey, this is what I want. Hey, the Lord, he's going to do this. He's bringing peace there because he has the peace of God in his heart. In Hebrews chapter 11 you can turn there quickly. This is this hall of faith that we see. And there's many great men in Genesis mentioned here. And you have Daniel probably mentioned being able to hold the mouth of lions. You have other men here who are mentioned putting to flight the armies of the enemies of God. Incredible, incredible marks of faith. But it seems as if for Jacob and Joseph is kind of a little bit of a downer compared to the rest of the men and women mentioned here. In verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Again, I think it's pretty amazing. Joseph's great feat of faith it wasn't being able to forgive his 11 brothers. It wasn't that he ran away from sin. It wasn't that he saved the entire nation of Egypt and the surrounding nations. It was that as he was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. And he gave instruction concerning his bones. Joseph in death was pointing his sons and daughters and his family and his brothers. He was pointing them all to God's promises, period. He was pointing them to the promises of God. And again, as believers, the life of faith we are to live is even in the greatest trial of life, which is going from life to death, we should be able to point others to the promises of God. Today, family, is that what you're doing? Are you pointing other people by faith, Joseph hadn't gone back to Canaan. Joseph hadn't gone back to the promise. I know by faith, he's saying, hey, God's going to come and visit you. He's going to bring you out of this land. And he will take you out to the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of this done in faith. According to this passage, Joseph, he was never buried. His coffin, it laid above ground 
for 400 years or so in the land of Egypt until it was taken back to Canaan. It was a silent witness for all those years that Israel was going back to the promised land just as God had said. Again, imagine growing up. Hey, what's that big box there on Main Street? Hey, that's Joseph. 50 years later, kids playing soccer. Donk. Hey, Dad, what's that? Hey, that's Joseph. 150 years later. Hey, Dad, what's that? That's what's left of Joseph, right? Years and years and years later, 400 years. What in the world? This is weird, decrepit, messed up. But it would point as a picture that every time a child of Israel saw Joseph's coffin and said, Hey, Dad, why in the world is there a dead body in the middle of where we live? They would be able to say because the great man Joseph did not want to be buried in Egypt, but in the promised land, which God will one day lead us to. His great mention of faith was that he continued to remind his family, even after his death, that God will one day lead them into the promised land. Family for us, I can't draw a better picture, but the rapture for us. And there's believers today that would like to look down at the rapture, scoff at the rapture. But it takes a lot of faith to continue to believe in the rapture. And God's word, it mentions that we are to be children of faith. So if we want to be like Joseph, we need to encourage our friends and family members. Hey, Jesus will one day lead us home. Jesus will one day take us home. And are you ready for it? Are you prepared for it? Are you living right with God? Are you able to say, Lord, I love you? And that's it, period. Are you still in the season and in the time you're saying, Lord, I kind of love you, but I like this, I like that, I love this, I love this sin, I love this world, I love the YouTube, I love the social media. Where are you at with this? May we truly turn to the Lord, knowing tonight's not promised, tomorrow's not promised. May we turn to the Lord. And again, the end of the lives of these two great men of faith, again, their lives were hard. And yet they were focused on God's tremendous blessing and care and promises on their life. Joseph, he's not pouring out a bunch of regret and bitterness. Jacob, he didn't pour out a ton of regret and bitterness. Again, we went over Jacob's life and how hard that was. For Joseph, his mom died giving birth to his little brother. His ten older brothers all hated him. They beat him up and sold him into slavery. Potiphar's wife lies about him. He runs from sin, yet he's thrown into prison. The freed prisoner forgets about him. And yet at the end of his life, he's saying, hey, guys, remember, God is one day going to come and he's going to take us out of this land. Don't lose faith. Don't lose that hope in God. 